0: We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. John chapter
1: 20, beginning in verse 24. We'll read the scripture in just a few minutes. I want to talk to you about the fact that doubters are welcome at the empty tomb. You know, I, uh, I have to admit to you, many times I think I'm a man of faith and power, but there's sometimes I have some doubts as well. As I mentioned earlier, Vaughn is in, Niger- in Africa. She was in Nairobi, Kenya, actually. She landed Friday evening, late afternoon, and realized a little later that she had left her backpack or forgot it or had been misplaced or something at the airport. So she's sending me text messages, and I sent back to her. I said, baby, don't worry about it. That's why I sent cash with you. Go buy what you need and don't worry about it. Don't let this ruin your trip. And then... I just was convinced. I even said to her, you'll never see it again. It's Africa. It's gone. Just get over it. And then I was shocked beyond words when yesterday she sent me a text and said, we went back to the airport and we found my backpack. It was at customs. Isn't that amazing? That's a miracle without a doubt. I've been to Africa many times. That just doesn't happen. There was stuff in there that people could have resold and made money on. So that's, that's a great testimony. Most of you remember that my dad passed away in January, actually January 18th. That evening I put a post on social media to let everyone know that uh, dad had gone on to be with the Lord and uh, thank you for all your prayers. Well the next morning I woke up at uh, our daughter Katie's house and was scrolling through social media and Donna would you put that up? And I found this post on social media, I was a little bit surprised to say the least. It said, Pastor Steve Dow has passed away. Please remember his family in your prayers. Well, that's amazing, isn't it? So I took a picture of that. I sent it to some of my friends and my boys. And Philip, my youngest son, said back, Dad, you've got your Easter message. There it is. So I've saved that until this morning. I've had a lot of fun with it, a lot of traction out of it. And it's amazing how sometimes that kind of things occur, isn't it? Anyway, you can take that down now. I just wanted you to have a little fun and a little laugh. This morning, let's look at John chapter 20, and I want to ask you the question as we read, do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in miracles? The Bible says these words, John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. This is talking about the evening of Jesus' resurrection. He comes to visit the disciples. The other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. So he said to them, speaking of Thomas, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples again were inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here, look at my hands, reach your hand here, put it into my side, do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, I believe this may be the greatest statement ever made by any disciple. He answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So let me ask you one more time. Do you believe in miracles? I'm not talking about some hokey thing that just happens by coincidence and we say, wow, that was a miracle like Tiger Woods winning the masters last week. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about honest to goodness, God inspired the acts of God, miracles. I know many of you in here would answer, yes, I believe in miracles. I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. But some would say, well, I'm just not so certain. I've come to tell you this morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest miracle that ever occurred. It's the greatest miracle to ever happen in the history of mankind. It's completely and totally unexplainable. It's completely and totally an act of God. Now, we have no problem with the crucifixion. We can understand that. We can grasp that. We see see people die horrible deaths on a regular basis. So the crucifixion, that's not a problem. Let me prove this to you. How many here have one of those little crosses that you wear as jewelry? Stand up if you do. Come on, be quick. I don't have much time. So if you have one of those crosses you wear as jewelry, will you stand? Turn and look around. There's a lot of folks with a cross, right? All right, now remain standing if not only do you have a cross, but you have a little empty tomb you wear around your neck. Who has that? Yeah, nobody has a little empty tomb. See, we have no problem with the crucifixion, but the resurrection, man, that's way out there. That's hard to grasp and hard to believe. It's hard to wrap our heads around. So let me ask you again, do you believe in miracles? Especially, do you believe in the greatest miracle of all, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I'm sure some of you would say, well, I'm not sure. Or no, I don't believe. Can I tell you, you're really in good company. Because on that first resurrection morning, there were a lot of folks who didn't believe as well. You can read it in Scripture, and you can see that people like Peter, and James, and John, and Matthew, and Bartholomew, and Simon the Zealot, none of them believed in the resurrection. And probably the one we most frequently remember is Thomas. And what do we call him? Doubting Doubting Thomas. That's right. Because he didn't believe the resurrection. But can I tell you, it's really unfortunate that Thomas is remembered as doubting Thomas. Because in reality, he was a great man of faith and purpose, a great man of conviction in his heart and in his life. Did he have some doubts? Of course he did. We first see Thomas in John chapter 11. You know the story, word came to Jesus that his friend Lazarus had died. He was sick, and then he died. And he needed to go to Bethany to visit the family. Now the disciples knew that if they went back to Bethany which was right next door to Jerusalem the odds were really high that Jesus would be killed. The religious leaders in Jerusalem hated him. They were plotting his demise. They wanted to kill him. So they had stayed out of there to preserve life. But when Jesus told them we're going to Bethany, you need to hear what Thomas said. Thomas said these words in John chapter 11 verse 16, "Let's go with him too." We may as well die also. That's a statement of faith, a statement of courage, enormous courage. What can you say about a man who says, well, if they kill him, they may as well kill me too. It takes a real man to make statements like that. That's the kind of man Thomas was. His statement spoke of love, of loyalty, of despair, of sacrifice, and most of all, total commitment to Jesus Christ. May just be that at that moment in time in John chapter 11, that Thomas really understood better than the other disciples exactly what was about to happen. And then one more time prior to Jesus' crucifixion, we see Thomas appearing again and giving voice. It was in the upper room the night before Jesus was crucified. Jesus had washed their feet, they had had the Last Supper together. And then you can read it in John chapter 14 verses 1 through 4 where he gives them the command to love one another and then he tells them these words. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Neither be afraid. Neither be afraid. He said, trust in God. Believe in God. Trust in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me where we're going. And then he said, and the way you will know. Well, Thomas is sitting there listening to all this. He's processing it. He's saying it makes no sense. And so he blurts out this statement in John 14, 5. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? He was very truthful with his doubt. He knew he didn't know where Jesus was going. He didn't understand this whole conversation. So how in the world could we know the way? The words of a totally honest man. The rest of the disciples were no doubt just as perplexed, but they didn't speak up. They didn't speak out. It was only Thomas who dared to say what he thought. That tells me this guy was an independent thinker. This guy was a thoughtful man. This guy was not easily stampeded by the crowd. Thomas wouldn't make a confession of faith unless he felt it deeply and believed it to be true. His faith was won through the agony of his personal struggle over those three and a half years with Jesus Christ. When you look at Thomas, forget the fact that we call him doubting Thomas. Consider him as a brave man. A man intensely loyal to Jesus Christ, deeply committed even to the point that he would lay down his life for Jesus if need be. And he's honest about his doubts. He's honest about his fears. He's honest about his confusion. And he's not going to accept second-hand answers for his own faith. So when you come to this point, we see that the stage is set for the greatest crisis in Thomas' life. The miracle that no one believed had just occurred. Jesus had risen from the dead. I think so many times we get so caught up in what we know, we forget what the disciples didn't know. We get so caught up in the fact that we are assured that he is alive, that he's, that he's ruling and reigning, that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that we forget the emotions, the confusion, the despair. That all the disciples were going through at that point in time. Let me ask you this. If you had seen a very close friend die, there's no doubt in your mind they were dead. You knew they were dead. You had went to the graveyard. You had seen them buried. What would it take to convince you, or could you be convinced that that person had risen from the dead? It's a pretty tough sell, isn't it? It's pretty hard to believe. If we'd been there in Jerusalem that day with Matthew and James and John and all the other disciples, would we have believed the rumors that Sunday morning, that resurrection morning? Would we have been any different than all those who had walked with Him for three and a half years, who had seen His miracles, who had experienced His grace, His mercy, His compassion? Would we have been any different? See, because here's the truth. Those who knew Jesus we were not expecting a resurrection. To them, it was over. They had wasted three and a half years of their life. There was nothing more to be done except go back to what they used to do. Peter was going to go back and be a fisherman again. You can read it throughout the scripture. They didn't believe a resurrection would occur, no matter what Jesus said, because he told them plainly, I will rise again. They didn't understand. It was the farthest thing from their minds. And really, who expected that on this Sunday morning? Well, you know, there was a group who did expect it. The religious leaders, the Jews that morning, expected that it could happen. So they asked the Roman government to put soldiers around that tomb and to seal the tomb so that the disciples couldn't come and steal the body to fake the resurrection. Oh, they believed that it was very possible he could rise again from the dead. The enemies of Jesus believed it, but his friends did not. Can I tell you, the devils in hell know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is no longer dead. He's not buried in a tomb outside Jerusalem. He is alive. He's alive. They know that. The enemies of Jesus knew it, but his friends did not. In fact, in Mark chapter 16... It says that the women who came to his tomb that morning came to anoint his body for burial. What did they find when they got there? The stone was rolled away. The grave was empty. Yet the women didn't have the slightest idea about what had happened. They weren't looking for a resurrection. They were simply performing the final acts of death. Mark says that even after the angel explained to them what had happened, they fled from the tomb trembling and afraid in Mark sixteen eight, John, tagged it with Mary, thought someone had stolen the body, John 20, verse 2. Luke adds that when the women came and told the apostles what the angel had said, the disciples, those inner circle guys, that 11... Did not believe the woman because their words seemed like nonsense to them. Luke chapter 24, verse 11. You see, they were convinced no one rises from the dead. Well, yeah, they saw Lazarus. They saw the widow of Nain's son. But you know the difference? Jesus was alive. Jesus performed that work. They knew he could do that for others, but they didn't think he could do it for himself because he was dead. Dead. There was no life left in his body. He was dead and buried. There's no way. They witnessed the trial. They saw the beating. They witnessed his beard pulled out of his face. They saw the 39 lashes. They watched as the Romans nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. They saw the sword pierce his side. They saw him breathe his last breath. There's no doubt in their mind he was dead. He was dead. And with his death, every hope, every aspiration, every dream fled as well and was buried. They didn't believe in the resurrection. It was impossible in their mind. Mark 16, 11 says, when they heard Jesus was alive, they did not believe it. Can you really blame them? I mean, think about it. The one that you had followed, the one your hopes were tied to is suddenly dead. Everything is over. You know, there's two basic ways people respond to bad news and difficult circumstances. Well, first, the front one will say they want to be with other people. They want to seek company. They want people around them to comfort them, to support them, to let them talk it out. And then there's another group that says, just leave me alone. I want to be by myself. I want to simply be left alone. That was Thomas. He didn't want to be a part of the crowd after Jesus died, just Leave me alone. He went with the disciples that day when Jesus appeared because his heart was broken. His dreams were crushed. Everything he had, he had given to Jesus, and Jesus was dead. Dead. He still loved him. He still cared. He really wanted to believe, but his heart was broken. Can I tell you, don't frame him as a bad guy. He really represents most of us in this room today. Most of us have dealt with fears and doubts and uncertainties. And we haven't always came out on top. His doubts came from his devotion to Jesus Christ. There is no doubt like the doubt in a broken heart. There's a couple of kind of doubters. There are those who are skeptics, rationalists, who refuse to believe anything. I remember Charlie Colum. First church I pastored in southern Kansas. His oldest daughter came in and got saved, and then her family started coming. She'd always be saying, please pray for my family, my dad, my mom, my little sister. My dad doesn't believe in God. This went on for a couple of years, and one day she said to me, Pastor, would you mind if I set it up for you and my dad to go bird hunting? Are you kidding? Mine? Sign me up. So over a course of time, he and I began to hunt f- pheasant and quail and duck and geese together. And Charlie told me straight up when we first met Preacher, don't even try to cram a religion down my throat. I don't believe in that stuff. No problem, Charlie. Let's just kill some birds. Let's have some fun. And that was the basis of our relationship. It went on through one hunting season. It rolled over into the next hunting season. And all of a sudden, Peggy's little sister, Bradley, Charlie's youngest daughter, Shut up at church one Sunday morning. God got a hold of her. She gave her life to Jesus Christ. Completely turned that little girl around. And then before I knew it, Dixie, Charlie's wife, was in church one Sunday morning. And she came to the altar that Sunday and bawled her eyes out. And Jesus forgave of her sins and changed her life. Charlie and I are still hunting together. Still having coffee. Still hanging out. He's still an agnostic. I'm still the preacher. We're just friends. It's a good thing. Can I tell you, it's a good thing to hang out with those that don't believe so you can rub off on them. Never once did I say to Charlie, you need Jesus. Never once did I say, you should come to church. I didn't invite him. I was just his friend. We killed a lot of birds together and had a lot of fun. And I'll never forget, it was Easter. Easter in 1991. The church was full there was Brandy, there was Dixie, there was Peggy and Frank. And I looked again, because there's that agnostic. There said Charlie, the guy that doesn't believe. And it was amazing when I preached that morning and gave the altar call, Charlie came walking down the aisle, tears running down his face. It's okay to doubt, but don't leave it there. Oh, come on, folks, there's people all around you looking for somebody just to go bird hunting with them. Somebody just to go golfing with them. Somebody just to take them to coffee. Somebody to just be a friend and show them Jesus. Show them that Jesus really is alive. He became my strongest supporter. He never missed a service. Back then we had church all the time. We had two Sunday morning services, we had Sunday night, we had Wednesday night, we had prayer meeting on Monday night, we had a special revival service every Friday night, we had church all the time. Charlie never missed a time when the doors were open because he suddenly realized, this Jesus, oh, he's alive. He's alive. I'm not selling some dead religion this morning, but I'm giving to you the hope of the universe. Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's alive. There's some like Charlie, they're skeptics, they're rationalists. They don't believe it and nothing's going to make them believe it. Matter of fact, they are most often characterized not as a person looking for answers, but a person looking for an argument. And then there's a second kind. There's the kind that says, I don't believe, but I'm willing to believe if I can see it for myself. That's where Thomas is at. He's not an unbelieving skeptic or rationalist. Rather, he is simply looking for answers. He didn't doubt the miraculous in general. He had seen many of Jesus' miracles, and that was part of the problem. But this one was just too big to take someone else's word for it. Too big to rely on someone else's experience. No one wanted to believe more than he did. He knew too much, but all the facts pointed in the opposite direction. Jesus was dead. He was dead. It's not that he doubted the word of the other disciples. He just couldn't have a secondhand faith. He just couldn't rely on what someone else had said. Can I tell you what grandma believed and grandma held on to is not sufficient for you today. Second-hand faith will not get you into the presence of God. Every man, woman, boy, and girl has got to come to the place where they either accept or they reject Jesus Christ. That's where Thomas was at. He said, I'm not going to deny what you said. I just don't believe it until I see it for myself. He couldn't live with a second-hand faith. He had to experience and see Jesus. He even wanted to say, unless I touch the wounds in his hand and thrust my hand into his side where that sword pierced him, I will not believe. I will not believe. But in that, even though it's a statement of doubt, there is a grain of hope. And the grain of hope is if I can experience Jesus. If I can see the master, then faith will come alive in my heart and in my spirit. He said if I don't touch his wounds, I will not believe. Would you and I have been any different? Are we any different today? See, too often the church peddles a secondhand faith. A form of religion that doesn't introduce us to a living God, but simply gives us a set of rules that we follow. And if we follow the rules well enough, then according to the church, somehow we're going to get into heaven. I've come to tell you, that's a bunch of nonsense. And the reason you're standing in that place of doubt... Wondering, do miracles really occur? Is Jesus really alive? Is because you've never experienced Him. Let me tell you: when you ask Him to come into your heart, when you ask Him to forgive your sins, when you ask Him to change you and revolutionize you, something happens, and He does that very thing. He makes you a new person in a moment of time. So, can I say to you today, doubters are welcome at the empty tomb. All these years, Thomas has got a bad rap and a bad reputation. We call him Doubting Thomas. We look down on him, but Jesus didn't. Eight days after Jesus appeared the first time to the disciples, he appeared again. And this time, Thomas was there. And I want you to see something. Thomas' doubts did not bother Jesus. Thomas's doubts did not keep Jesus away. But you can read it in John chapter 20, verse 27. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. He knew all about what Thomas was feeling and thinking and even saying. So he came to bring assurance. He came to bring experience. He came to show him that he really was alive. And the wonderful truth we learn from the scripture is doubters are welcome at the empty tomb. Because Jesus will prove himself to you every single time. So let me say it again. Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in the greatest miracle of all that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead? If you say, Well, I'm not sure. No, I don't believe. You're still welcome here. We're glad that you are here. But can I say it this way? Just because you came in that way doesn't mean you have to leave that way. Jesus Christ wants you to experience him. Let me use his words. He said to Thomas, and I say it to you, stop doubting and believe. You see, God is asking that every person give this story the same treatment that we give to any other story verified by eyewitnesses. He's asking that we look at the evidence, that we judge the record, that we sift through what we know, and then we come to a conclusion. It's okay to doubt, but don't let your doubts keep you away. Come to the empty tomb and see for yourself. When Thomas realized Jesus really was alive, I said it as I read the scripture. Let me say it again. He made the greatest, most powerful statement ever made by the apostles. He said, my Lord and my God, the one that I believed in really is alive. All hope springs back into his spirit and into his soul. Can I tell you, maybe the church has hurt you. Maybe a preacher has failed you. Maybe your spouse did walk out on you. Maybe your children are in rebellion. But if you'll come to the empty tomb, you'll experience a Savior who is able to revolutionize your life. My Lord and my God. That's what he said. He acknowledged Jesus Christ, and that stands as a testimony to his great faith. It's a wonderful truth that the greatest doubters often become the strongest believers. Told you about Charlie. He loved God until the day he died. I could go back and officiate his memorial service. And it was so much fun and such great pleasure to be able to say, that man is my friend, but more importantly, that man is my brother. And I'm going to see him again because we have the same Savior. Honest doubts, once resolved, become the bedrock of an unshakable faith. Setbitsman said that no truth is as strongly believed as the truth that was once doubted. That's why Thomas is in the Bible. Not so we can call him Doubting Thomas, but so that we can identify with him and understand honest doubts don't drive Jesus away. Charles Colson, you may know the name, was a special counsel to President Nixon. He was involved in Watergate, went to prison because of it. He got saved in prison. He writes these words about the resurrection. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them were beaten, tortured, stoned, put in prison, and killed. They wouldn't have endured that if it weren't true. He went on to say, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world. And they couldn't keep the lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. I've come to tell you this morning that this is the day to believe in miracles. This is the day to believe that Jesus really is alive. One more thing. No one can come to the empty tomb and remain neutral forever. You can bring your doubts, but you have to make a choice. You can't stay on the fence forever. And this is a great day to say, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know that Jesus died, there's no doubt about it. It's a historical fact, a matter of record. But do you know he died for you? And do you know he rose again from the dead for you? So the question God is asking in this room this morning is, what have you done with my son? What have you done with the empty tomb? What have you done with the greatest miracle in the history of humanity? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Jesus said, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. He's speaking to you this morning. And he's asking you to do that very thing, to stop doubting and believe. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this room this morning. If you're in this place, if you're watching online, I'm talking to you as well. You need to believe in the greatest miracle that ever occurred. You want Jesus to come into your life and change your heart and change your life. That's you. I'm talking to you. I preached to you this morning. And from the moment you walked into this service, the Holy Spirit has been drawing you, wooing you, inviting you to come to Jesus Christ. You know you can't keep living the way you're living. You know you need to make a decision. You can't remain neutral about Jesus. This morning, He's asking you to come to Him, to surrender your life, let Him forgive your sins, let Him transform you today. That's you. I'm talking to you. You know I'm talking to you. The Holy Spirit is drawing you right where you're set. You're going to slip up that hand and you're going to say, Pastor, that's me. You just read my mail today. That's me. That's me. I want to respond to the resurrection. Yes, someone else. That's me. That's me. I want Jesus to come into my life today. I want to respond to the miracle of the resurrection and experience what God can do in my heart and life. Anyone else?
0: Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church... chctoday.com